spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to an I Will Survive edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Hey, hey. Saturday's 26-20 victory in College Station was exciting and maddening. Exciting and maddening. Winning with the style few believed the team could muster, and nearly losing with the same tired, unforced errors plaguing the team for what feels like forever, and overcoming a rash of injury that began even before the ball was kicked. On one hand, damn it, this team, will it ever get its act together? And on the other hand, oh yes, these guys are resilient, fast-maturing, and clearing hurdles like Edwin Moses. But which is it? Give me a month of home games, a bye week, a soft SEC West, a Nick Saban, and this team's trend line? Well, a lot of season left. I like our possibilities. All right, offense, Jalen Milrow, quarterback, let's go. Lots of kudos to young Jalen Milrow playing in an incredibly hostile environment against a defense geared to challenge his weaknesses, not Alabama's weaknesses, but specifically his weaknesses. And what does he do? He delivers. He delivers a career high in completions, 21, a career high in pass attempts, 33. He ties a high for touchdown passes in a game with three, and he delivers a personal high passing yardage, 321 yards, 300 yards for a quarterback is sort of a milestone uh, uh, threshold, and Milrow delivered that Saturday against a very spunky defense, and especially defensive front uh, from Texas A&M. Jalen Milrow has has demonstrated, and, and we certainly hear about his leadership and his work ethic on the field we see his, his toughness and his resilience. The sack by Edrin Cooper, blindside sack by Edrin Cooper, it did for, uh, force a fumble. That was one of six, uh, one of six uh, sacks on the day. Milrow shakes it off, stands up, gets back into the pocket. Uh, his next play mentality, his resilience, the way he just lets a play go and comes back and continues to to play the drive, continue to play the next play, doesn't let one play bleed into the the next, a bad play especially bleed into another play. We see that week over week, and we're seeing him even get better in that as a fan base uh, as as, uh, Milrow continues to evolve at the quarterback position. In the second half, uh, Alabama uh, Alabama fans were uh, treated to a little bit of a short passing game. Uh, that's good play calling uh, by Reese. That's a good schematic, and certainly Milrow executing those in a way that maybe we didn't quite see uh, in in prior weeks. We also saw Milrow throw the ball away once in what looked like an exaggerated attempt to throw the ball out of bounds. He got just barely out of the pos- po- uh, pocket, and he delivered uh, probably twenty rows up. 
he threw the ball out of bounds. But it was good to see as opposed to him just running out of bounds and losing yards. And we talked specifically about that in last week's show, and we talked about how we will start to see progress in that area. So I got a kick. Uh, uh, I got a particular kick out of the exaggerated effort to to throw the ball uh, out of bounds. Yes, Jalen did have a fumble, and there was an interception. But remember, we're not asking Jalen Miro to walk on water. We're asking him to walk out front and truly be a leader uh, for this team. Not a figurehead, not the quarterback who's supposed to be the leader, but truly walk out front and be a leader for this team. And we're seeing that. As fans, we're seeing this. And if we're not seeing this, we're being willful and not seeing it, uh, or we're just simply not uh, paying attention. You know, Stevie Wonder can see some of the improvement that, that Milrow is making on a week-to-week basis. And certainly as fans, uh, we are seeing it as well. I do believe Saturday in College Station was a watershed moment for Milrow and for the team. This was a breakthrough moment for Milrow and for the team. I think as we enter the the rest of the season, the second half of the season, this Alabama team is going to play with more poise. And uh, we'll start to polish things up. Uh, the next month of, of homestand certainly is going to help in that regard, but I believe this team is going to work harder and play with more confidence as a result of of this moment, of passing this moment, of uh, of walking through this crucible moment. And and I am building it up a little bit because I think there's materiality to it, and I, I think this Alabama team is going to demonstrate a new resolve, a new personality uh, over the second half of the season, and that certainly can be fun uh, to watch uh, us as fans. All right, let's break through uh, the rest of the individual positions again, much like we do. Uh, let's talk offensive line. And uh, offensive line played like Oprah Winfrey. Uh, you get a pre-snap penalty. You get a pre-snap penalty. You get a pre-snap penalty. Everybody gets a pre-snap penalty. We've talked about it before. These are the types of penalties. Not everyone gets one. You can get one, but not everyone gets one because it kills too many drives. Well, guess what? Everybody gets one. At least on Saturday they did. It was amazing how many pre-snap penalties uh, the offensive line. Uh, I think there was one drive where there was three in a row. Uh, there was uh, certainly that drive. One of the guards got two in a row. Now I went back and watched that, and the TV crew did the did the replays, and maybe there was a little bit of a move on the on the first one, but uh, I don't. I did not see a move on the second one. Maybe he passed gas or something, and uh, one of the officials saw a, saw a cheek quiver or something, but I didn't see uh, a false start on one of them. But nonetheless, uh, you take one away from the, to- the total uh, count, and it, not that big of a deal. It's a lot of sloppy play. There's a lot of, an opportunity, lot of opportunity to get cleaned up there from the offensive line. Uh, you add to that uh, six yards uh, or six sacks allowed, and a net 23-yard rushing total, and you wonder how Alabama could get out of the state uh, uh, at all, much less with a win. Uh, that's a that's a, a terrible set of uh, sort of metrics or uh, our numbers that we're looking at. But at the same time, and this is this is crazy, but at the same time, man, I really thought the offensive line played well. Uh, certainly demonstrating their improvement. They're not a finished product, but the the improvement that we're seeing, uh, and certainly that we saw on Saturday, 
uh, you have to look through some clutter, but there's some really good stuff there. Uh, again, we're playing an all-star. Saturday, uh, Alabama played an all-star defensive line that was stacked up against the run. And they were successful in limiting Alabama's uh, running game. It was a hostile and historic crowd that this Alabama team uh, played against. But the line did show improvement. The snaps improved. Again, we're not walking on water here. We're not asking for perfection. We're asking for weekly improvement. Seth delivered that on Saturday. Caden Proctor is playing his part. Uh, he is improved uh, week over week over week. Uh, the rotation with Elijah Pritchard, uh, Pritchard's playing well, uh, I think, also. And the rotation is driving competition between the two of them. Uh, if if one of them lays a turd and the other goes out and plays all world, we'll stop the rotation and we will play the, the better of the two. Both of these guys know that. And so when they're on the field, uh, the fact that they feel that a little bit of a competitive uh, pressure, a little bit of a competitive edge is good, and it's improving the line play across the board, certainly in the presence of those individuals. And I cannot overstate Jaden Roberts on Saturday. He played, uh, it was a late scratch. Uh, Darian Dalcourt has a little bit of a shoulder, and so Jaden Roberts stepped in. Uh, Jaden Roberts stepped in ahead of Terrence Ferguson, who's coming back from an ankle. Uh, Ferg did play uh, a couple of snaps. Uh, but rotated back out, and Jaden Robertson Roberts came in and played well uh, as a whole on Saturday. He's physical, he's quick, he has a nastiness, uh, he's certainly capable, uh, and I think he certainly intensifies the competition at that guard position. What can't be overstated is Jaden Roberts. You're going to hear me say his name a couple times, uh, foreshadowing there. Uh, Jaden Roberts is the third string right guard. Let that sink in a little bit. He's not the starter. He's not a rotational guy like Booker was last year, which is kind of a co-starter. He's not the number two that just barely sort of edged out, uh, got edged out. He's the third. He's the third guard at that position. And what he did stepping in to any game and not laying an egg, his first starting opportunity, he went into College Station against Texas A&M, against that defensive line, and had one of the better days of any of the linemen that Alabama fielded on Saturday. That is damn impressive. If that's the caliber of talent that is available to Alabama, available to the competition, this line's going to continue to improve. Dalcourt, God bless the kid, may have just been Wally pipped. So that's something to keep an eye on. Ferguson may come back and have an opportunity. Jaden Roberts may have left uh, left frog uh, Terrence Ferguson as well. So that'll be interesting to see. Now, a lot of opportunity for improvement across the offensive line. And uh, we're going to talk about that in the context of, of running backs. Uh, Jason McClellan had 12 carries for 45 yards. Uh, Rodell Williams had six for nine. And uh, uh, I think Alabama did play a short bench uh at the running back position against Texas A&M. The overall numbers at the running back position were, were virtually non-existent. And uh, what, what do you have to say about that? I give a lot of credit to Texas A&M. Uh, in that regard, the offensive line certainly can improve. And the running backs, uh, for my money, we've got a free Justice Haynes. Uh, I like Jace. I like Roy Dell. Uh, I think they're average SEC backs, probably at best. And uh, Justice Haynes has the opportunity to be one of the top end backs 
uh, in the league. And so I think there's an opportunity uh, to get uh, Haynes into the rotation. I think we start to see that in the second half uh, of the season. If it were fantasy, if it were a game of fantasy or sort of a video game, I'd take the top four running backs, uh, Jace, Roydell. Uh, I would include Jamari Miller, and I'd throw Justice Haynes in there, and, and I'd say they all get 10 carries, and let's see uh, let's see who wins. Now, we don't play video games. We can't sort of iterate in that way, uh, but we can give Jace 10, and we can give 6 to 8 to each, to each of the others. Uh, we can divvy it up by drives. There are things that we have seen, specifically seen Coach Saban do uh, in the past. There's a way uh, to give uh, the seniors, uh, the upperclassmen, uh, sort of first right to the field, uh, but the youngsters, the youngsters at the running back position for this year's Alabama team, the youngsters is where it's at, and uh, uh, we, I, I think the team desperately needs to see that. If there's a home run threat at the at the running back position, it's a force multiplier to what this offense can do. If that threat is real, if that threat is there, uh, then that's uh, that's something that Alabama needs to bring to bear if it's there. <clears throat> now. All of that said, Jace, the bobbled catch, uh, his knee was down when he first touched the ball. It bobbled into the air. He, I don't think he did it intentionally. It's just he's, you're getting your balance and you're tracking to the ball. His knee came off the ground and he caught the ball and, and he wasn't down when he caught it. He had touched the, the ground uh, with his knee, got back up caught the ball clean and was able to run for a first down. That was a critical third and 15. I think it, he would have gained nine yards. And so it would have been a fourth and six. Alabama spun the ball away uh, to get that first down at that point in the game, late in the game, was quite incredible. And uh, Jace there with his athleticism making the play. And and, and maybe his hand, maybe I, he has good hands, maybe just a split second of bad hands uh, worked in Alabama's favor. Uh, sometimes it's 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 funny how that happens, but the ball bobbled. Uh, he was able to get back on his feet, and again, I don't think that was intentional. I just think he's tracking the ball into the air, so he lifts his body weight up, and now his knees are on the ground, and uh, he's able to scamper for the first down. That was a big play. Uh, serendipity is that what they is that what we call it? Uh, sometimes serendipity works in your favor. I like what Gene Stallings, uh, Beebs used to say: you, you you create your own luck. And uh, that was certainly an incident of uh, uh, created luck there. Let's talk about uh, wide receivers. And uh, you had to start and start and nearly start uh, stop um, the discussion with uh, Jermaine Burton. And it certainly was the Jermaine Burton show. There was a lot of excitement. Uh, nine catches for 197 yards, two touchdowns. There was some drama. Uh, there was a penalty and nearly another with uh, some mouthiness. Uh, from Burton. I thought the A&M players were pretty dang mouthy and that Burton sort of fed off of that and they fed off of each other and then Burton got a penalty uh, off of that. Watch for other teams to try to get under Burton's skin there. So that'll be an interesting um, uh, an interesting sort of development over the course of the season. And uh, the Jermaine Burton show also had a little bit of tragedy with a uh, fumble. And in fact, a, a big turnover uh, in the moment that it happened. Uh, it was 24 to 17. The ball game was. So it was a one score game. Alabama was at uh, their 18 and turned the ball over and um, uh, it bailed out. Burton and Alabama was bailed out. Uh, subsequent, uh, rather than scoring, uh, AM did a field goal attempt and that was blocked. And we'll talk about that on special teams. 
Uh, but that was a pivotal moment where Burton, you know, it's easy to go back and say, you know, you play the result, right? A little bit you do. Had he broken the tackle and gone for a big run, that'd be great. We love his ferociousness. Had he just gone down, some people are going to get on him. He has no fight. And, uh, of course, he fights and then he fumbles, and you wish that he hadn't have done that. And so there's a, there's a myriad of sort of reaction. Uh, damn it, I just wish he had gone down because that, that really could have uh, changed the tenor of the game had A&M put a score uh, on at that point. It's a different, it's a whole new, it's a whole new ball game. So sometimes possessing the ball, and we talk about this on the podcast, when in, when in doubt, possess the ball. And so when in doubt, let's possess the ball. That was, I think that was a first down play. Maybe it was a second down play. Uh, possess the ball. You've gained yards, just go down, live to fight another day. And uh, uh, I wish uh, that had, I wish that had uh, happened. But at the same time, Jermaine Burton played an incredible day. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, I I don't have this in my notes, but I was uh, messaging uh, with a group of uh, sort of the, our support team uh, during the game. Jermaine Burton on, on Saturday, he reminded me, Just it just struck me like a flash. He reminds me of Ardarius Stewart, a really uh, talented receiver, uh, athleticism that really sort of just pops off uh, the screen or pops off uh, the field. And we saw more of that Saturday from Burton than maybe we have uh, in his entire tenure at Alabama, a little bit of spark and personality in the in his game, a little bit of rawness uh, in his in his play, and Ardarius had, and, and certainly saw a little bit of that uh, from from Burton. And the more I started to think about that idea, and the more they talked about the relationship between Milrow and uh, and Burton, I thought the analogy really it really holds up. It stands up to uh, a little bit of scrutiny. I've read this in now a couple of articles, and I think they talked about it uh, on the CBS broadcast, where Milrow uh, and, and Burton, you know, Burton says, just throw the ball up. Let me adjust to it. Let me run to it. Uh, let me run under it. If you're a little bit, just put it up. I'll, I'll adjust to the ball. And I thought, you know, that reminds me a lot of our Darius Stewart and Jalen Hurts. There were times where Jalen Hurts would just throw uh, the ball up and our Darius would go get it. And I, I particularly remember there was a Tennessee game in Tuscaloosa, a uh, late drive for Alabama to go ahead and win. And there were three straight, uh, it was one possessions, it was three straight plays or three out of four plays where uh, along the sideline, Alabama was driving to the north end zone. So it would have been the east uh, sideline. Along the east sideline, uh, it's just pitch and catch with our Darius, you know, sort of up in the air. Uh, catching the ball uh, along the sidelines, and it was and it, so it was very similar. You've got a a, a run prone quarterback uh, whose accuracy we're still sort of figuring out. I think uh, I think at this stage of de- development, Milrow's accuracy is better than Hertz was at that point in time. But the point being, there's some similarities, and then you've got a receiver that just says, "Put it up, I got you, I got you. Put it up, I'll get it." Stewart delivered on that day. Our Darius did. And uh, and then Jermaine Burton certainly delivered Saturday uh, for Milrow and for Alabama. Isaiah Bond really emerged as well on Saturday. We've long known that he's talented in his speed, but he had seven catches uh, for 96 yards, a touchdown, he had a long of 52. Uh, that would normally be the star of the day. Uh, just Burton had <laughs> twice as many yards, uh, which is amazing. Malik Benson, you got a block on the wide receiver screen, buddy. You got a block on the wide receiver screen. That would have been uh, uh, a much better play there. Uh, let's see. Many game balls for offense. I'm going to give two. Uh, Jaden Roberts for all the things that we talked about. Uh, we were very 
effusive in our uh, praise of Roberts. Uh, started Saturday, very little notice. Dalkert dressed and went through warmups, and apparently he had a, there, you know, he had a shoulder. Uh, I don't know the, all of the story. I'm going to presume that that shoulder had been bothering him, and so Jaden probably got a few more reps during practice. We don't know this to be true, and probably had an inclination that he might play. We don't know this to be true. I just suspect that it probably is, and it was a game time decision. Dalkert was, you know, during warmups. And so um, I, I suspect that there was some pre-knowledge there, but still it doesn't matter. He's a third string uh, tackle or third string guard uh, that came in and started in one of the more hostile environments that Alabama will play uh, play in and uh, against one of the better defensive fronts, especially the DLs that Alabama will face this season. And Jaden Roberts, I thought, acquitted himself very, very well. I'm also going to toss a mini game ball in the direction of Caden Proctor. Uh, we continue to see his improvement. And on the Edrin Cooper hit of uh, sort of blindside sack of um, Milrow, the ball came out and Proctor was on it uh, like uh, white on rice, I guess. And um, I was able to uh, recover that ball. Now, two plays later, it was an interception. It was a turnover. So you could say, well, you know, whatever. But uh, nonetheless, Proctor uh, made a good play there. His, his awareness, we'll take his awareness and his improvement, and uh, we'll go from there. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right. Like we do, let's flip the field and talk defense. I thought the Alabama defense was the buoyant factor for this this team's performance Saturday. The offense was was phenomenal. Uh, it had some up and some down. I thought the defense as a whole was was a lot more steady on the day. Uh, Alabama defense uh, allowed AM only four of 12 on third down uh, possessions or third down conversions, uh, O of one on fourth down conversion conversions, uh, held AM to 306 yards and total yards and held AM to uh, only 67 yards rushing, an average of 1.9. Now, everything that I'm kudoing the Alabama defense for, hey, AM defense did the same to Alabama. And so, and in fact, their numbers uh, in some of these areas are better. I think four for 12 on thirds uh, is was the same. I don't think Alabama went for it on a fourth. Uh, Alabama did have more total yards than uh, A&M, but the rushing yards was significantly less than 67. In fact, the net was 23. And so uh, A&M averaged 1.9, Alabama averaged 0.9. Uh, so embarrassing things there. So we don't talk about the opponent defense other than, you know, in the context of our offense, uh, but hats off to the way that they played. Uh, but uh, indeed, hats off to the Alabama uh, defense as well. Uh, Alabama defense had a huge interception. Uh, Caleb Downs, we're going to talk about that uh, here in a little bit. And the Alabama defense mustered five sacks, uh, which was certainly nice as well. The Alabama defense not only strung together a collection of big plays, but the timing of the plays were were nearly perfect. Uh, and I'm going to run through a couple of things, a couple situationals, uh, situationals in the second half. 
uh, Alabama trailing by seven, uh, moving the ball to start the second half. This, so this is Alabama's first possession uh, of the second half, down by seven, through an interception. Alabama did two plays later. Uh, Caleb Downs picks off Max Johnson, uh, um, and which sets up Alabama's tie-in touchdown. Uh, so again, if if Alabama doesn't uh, intercept the ball, there's an opportunity for A&M to go up by two scores. Um, the flip of that happens. Alabama gets the ball back, essentially trading interceptions, uh, gets the ball back, and uh, is able to tie up, uh, subsequently able to tie up the game. That's a big moment. Uh, timing, right? That's a big moment for the Alabama defense. Uh, Alabama for, forced two punts, allowing the offense to take uh, to take the lead, allowing Alabama to take the lead. So right after the interception, uh, Alabama scores to tie the game. The defense forces two A&M punts, and in that, that sort of sandwiched in the middle possession, uh, Alabama is able to score a touchdown to go up uh, by seven to take the lead. Uh, and so, again, that's just the, the timing there, the defense stepping up. We're going to break serve. We're not just going to trade touchdowns here. Uh, we're going to score to get back in it. We're going to hold them down, uh, suppress their ability to score while we score again. We're going to take the lead. So that's a 14-point swing. Uh, you're down by seven. Now you're up by seven. It's a 14-point swing enabled by uh, certainly the offense delivering, right, uh, but the defense uh, for holding serve there. Uh, so I think that's phenomenal. Alabama defense. Uh, later, later, uh, late third, uh, in the fourth, uh, Alabama defense forcing a safety, uh, which with just savage, uh, defensive line play up front. The force safe safety, and I'm going to weave some parts here together, uh, because this force safety was huge. Uh, it was tremendous. Alabama defense forced the safety right after the Alabama offensive possession that was a result of the blocked punt. And so the blocked punt, which should have been its own touchdown, resulted, that possession resulted in no points for Alabama. And so the safety sort of salvaged that possession in, in, a, in a manner of speaking. Uh, Alabama had to relinquish the ball uh, to AM and then immediately forced a forced a safety. And so Alabama got two points from defense coming off of a free possession off a blocked punt that resulted in no points. And so the defense said, screw this. This should somehow net in some points. We're just going to get a safety because that's the best kind of we can do. And so they they scored the safety. It's critical, not just because of the exchange and like, oh, math says Alabama should have points here. And so here's some points. It's critical because it made it a two-score game. It took the seven-point lead to a nine-point lead. Am I doing my math right? Yes, uh, it took it to a, a nine-point lead. So the fact that it made it a two-point possession was critical because subsequent to that, AM was driving, had an opportunity to score. In fact, Ania Smith almost scored, uh, but was out of bounds at like the two. And the Alabama defense, again, stood up. Texas A&M uh, had a first and goal at the two. The Alabama defense stood up and kept A&M out of the end zone. Uh, also burned a critical uh, uh, clock time. 
A&M started that possession with three minutes and 16 seconds left in the game. At the end of that possession, there were two minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, so burned more than a minute or caused A&M, forced A&M to burn more than a minute trying to get into the end zone. They were unable to get into the end zone. And because it was a two-score game, A&M appropriately, correctly so, they went for the field goal, uh, knowing that, hey, we've got to score twice. Let's not lose. And, and, and I went back and listened to uh, Fisher's press conference, and he's exactly right. We could go for it here and not get it. And they've stoned us before. We could not get And then the game's over. And we lose by two scores. Let's get the field goal, live to fight, uh, extend the game, right? Let's put the game on the remainder of the minutes, the remainder of the plays, not on this one play. Uh, I think that's the right decision. And so they kicked the field goal, made it a six-point game, and uh, and then went for the one-sides kick, and and they weren't able to, to retrieve that. And, again, that's just the, the nature of the play. But the way the, def- the, the, way the defense rose up to these moments, to these occasions, uh, to sort of bail out the offense or bail out a special teams play or bail out, you know, whatever – uh, the way the defense rose to these occasions is a little bit epic uh, in uh, in nature. And I was very, very pleased, very, very impressed with how the defense in the second half just played to a standard that was phenomenal and enabled uh, some shortcomings by the offense, by special teams, sort of allowed the Alabama team, the team as a whole, to rise above uh, those moments. So anyways, uh, a lot of emphasis I, I put in the defense uh, there now we can call out individual players because you know we do that as well. Uh, Tim Keenan had eight tackles. Holy cow! Tim Keenan had eight tackles and are in on eight tackles. He also had a sack. That is phenomenal. Uh, when we talked about we need uh, Alabama needs uh, help at the defensive line. It's a weak position. We need players to emerge. Uh, losing Jamil Burrows at the beginning of the season for appropriate reasons, but he was depth. He was a known quantity. Uh, Alabama could very well use him this season. Uh, the fact that Alabama is getting uh, depth and production from the remaining defensive line is heartwarming, I'll say. It's not altogether a surprise because we knew the names, we knew the players, we knew that they had talent. They just hadn't put it together uh, quite yet. And uh, Keenan was one of those names sort of on the list, maybe at the lower down on the list. Is he is he capable of sort of stepping in? And, you know, without question, he has. And, uh, and that's phenomenal. So that so that Tim Keenan contributed to eight tackles and had a sack Saturday. Phenomenal. We need more of that, Tim. We want more of that. We enjoy it. We love it. Uh, Caleb Downs, we've talked about uh, Caleb and his big play. He was also in on seven tackles, had the interception we've talked about. Uh, Justin Boyby probably had his best single game performance since his injury. Ooh, that's nice to see him round back into form. Because I've said this before, and so drink, I guess, but Boyby had was having his best play. I think he had his best game as an Alabama player. And I want to say it was the Vanderbilt game before he had the neck injury in practice. And we had predicted he is going to be emergent over the second half of what would have been last season. Well, it's, you know, ballpark it's about a, a year that he's had chance to recover get back in the in the program get healthy again and he had one of his better days of his career uh saturday he was in on five ta- uh, five tackles 
uh, one and a half sacks. And if he emerges over the second half of this season, like we predicted the second half of last season, ooh, that's going to be really nice for this Alabama defense and uh, really nice for this defensive line. So keep an eye on a Boyby. And as soon as I say that, I think maybe I should just keep my mouth shut because last time. So anyways, we're not going to talk that into existence. Uh, Deontay Lawson was in on five uh, tackles. He had a pass deflection. And more importantly, we're so pleased to have Deontay Lawson back. Uh, he, his contribution is bigger than his stat line. Uh, because he lines up, he's a play caller on the defense. And so getting him back in that position, we talked about run fits and such last week with Mississippi State. Getting Lawson back this week uh, to operate in that capacity, very, very, very nice. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry, we uh, continue to enjoy his phenomenal play. Make the tackle, don't always go for the strip, I'd say that. Terry and Arnold had a tremendous day. And in fact, I want to talk about Terry and Arnold in the context of Malachi Moore uh, going out. Ooh, man, it, it hurt to see uh, Malachi being carried off, not limping off or not just like on the shoulder of, of one guy, uh, but two trainers, one under each arm, carrying him. He's putting zero weight on uh, on one of his legs. And you think, oh, man, that could be as bad as it looks like it could be. And it turns out it's a it's a, um, a sprained ankle. And so that could mean a couple of different things, a high ankle sprain versus, you know, sort of a regular. Uh, he was walking around in a boot after the game, but it's not a knee. And so you start sort of it's not this. It's not this. And so what is it? Uh, it's not a knee. It's not see. It's not definitionally season ending. Okay, that's awesome. And uh, and so, is he going to play against Arkansas? I don't know. Uh, do we need him to play against Arkansas? Probably not. Uh, and will we get him back for you know LSU and Tennessee and those games? Yeah, probably so. I think that's going to be a goal. We'll see how that unfolds. Uh, just happened yesterday. We'll learn more at uh, Monday's. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday. So by the time you get this, uh, we'll know more. We'll know more because of Saban's um, uh, presser on Monday. So uh, we'll see how that goes out. Uh, but when Malachi went out, we talked about the secondary and the shuttling and the moving of uh, the moving parts and pieces uh, in the secondary. And so when Malachi went out, we saw a lot of that sort of uh, materialize. Terry and Arnold went from corner to the star position. And Trey Amos, Amos uh, transfer came in to backfill at the corner position. We'll sometimes see that historically when more this season, when we've gone to not the not a nickel, but to a dime, uh, we'll do sort of the same things. And Malachi will move uh, back out to the money position. He'll go from star to money, and then uh, and and then we'll see uh, Terrian go from corner to star and an Amos will come in. And so it's always kind of interesting, like when we, what's the indicator that we're in a, that we're in a dime? Well, who's the guy that rotates in? It's been Amos. He just plays corner and the other two guys uh, shuffle. We kind of did a version of that with uh, Malachi out. Now he's out instead of moving to, to the money, he's out, he's moving to the bench. And so Terrian moves over, uh, which positions Terrian to make a, a nice play down the field on Aeneas it would have been interesting to see if Malachi would have made the big uh, that same play. I don't I don't know, uh, but nonetheless, we see uh, Terry and Arnold at the star position. Uh, we see Trey Amos at the uh, 
the cornerback position. And there was a play or two where Alabama did go to the dime with that configuration. And we saw Christian story come in. And so he's, he's, he is a player that has not played a whole lot and sort of, he lost his opportunity. I would say with the transfers that came in that sort of up the level of competition and he was sort of knocked out uh, further down the page. And it turns out, look, he was in the seventh best DB as opposed to six. And so in this arrangement, in this configuration, Christian story comes in to man the dime positions. So it's interesting to see all of uh, the, almost the shell game, not in a, not like we're parts and pieces piecing it together, but there was a law where the Alabama defense was sort of figuring itself out there and wondered with all the things that the self-imposed situations, negativity that the team is experiencing, does this real life injury, is this too much for the team to overcome? And the team, uh, the defense sort of rallied around it, improved and said, no, it's not too much for us to overcome. And so in the intro, when we're talking about this being a resilient team, this team bouncing about, this team hurdling our, uh, hurdles uh, like an Edwin Moses, this is one of those hurdles. Uh, we've got a third team guard in there and we're replacing Malachi Moore, who is a vocal leader on the defense. He's not just a good dude that's out there, but he's one of the better players on the Alabama defense. He's one of the better players on the Alabama team. And uh, to absorb his loss and uh, bounce back again against uh, an opponent like any AM, a talented team like AM, it speaks really highly of this Alabama team, uh, its resolve, and certainly this defense as well. All right, so I've said enough there. Mini game ball for defense. I'm going to go Trey Amos for all the reasons we've talked about. Uh, yes, Trey Amos did uh, get a penalty, it was a pass interference, uh, it was defensive holding. And there's a part of me, and you know, on TV, they didn't show all of the replays like I, I wish they could have or would have. But there's a part of me that wonders if, hey, you hold instead of give up a touchdown. Uh, and so did was is a defensive hold, <laughs> like literally a defensive hold, rather than giving up a touchdown. Uh, so that would be interesting to see footage on that. Also noted that he was not specifically targeted. Texas did target him a couple of, you know, a month ago, earlier in the season. I didn't see AM specifically do that. I don't know if just they didn't notice or they they weren't sort of playing that. Uh, that wasn't an angle. Uh, AM has a lot of really talented receivers, so I don't know why they wouldn't specifically, you know, try to poke at that. And it could be, and again, it's harder to see from TV, uh, but it could be that um, Amos was really tight in coverage. And so there was no need to try to pick on him because clearly he is def uh, he's playing uh, the coverage uh, patterns very, very well. Again, I don't know that. That might be something to keep an eye on. If Malachi is going to be out for a couple of weeks, uh, then it may be interesting to see if teams um, having the benefit of game planning for it uh, if they don't take shots at Amos. So that'll be – that's not me mad at the guy. That's just me mad at the – you know, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm, I've always said the guy opposite Kool-Aid is going to get targeted. And so if it's Amos and then, you know, he's our third-string corner – if we go after him or if a team goes after him, is that going to be a surprise? No, it's to be expected. The bigger surprise is A&M appeared not to do it, uh, except for the one play with a penalty. And again, he could have had good coverage after that. So we shall see. All right, let's talk about uh, special teams. Will Reichert, uh, he was one for one on field goals. He had a 39-yarder. 39 39 uh, he was three for three of his, uh, for his PATs. I read somewhere he's 51 point. I think it's 51 points away from being the all-time leading scorer in the SEC, damn, that's impressive. We need to figure out how to make that work. If that means we go out against some of these teams and just kick 
a shit ton of field goals. I'm okay with that. Uh, hey, let's score 51 touchdowns over the balance of the season and let him get his PATs that way. I wouldn't sneeze at that either. But, uh, yeah, if there's a way Will, Will Reichert uh, can get that, uh, we need we, we support that. We need that to, to be true as Alabama fans. Uh, James Burnup, God bless him. As soon as we just really pile on the bandwagon talking good things about him, it's not that he has a bad day. It's that he gets injured. Uh, so Burnup had uh, two punts for 92 yards. He averaged 46 yards on those punts. Now, he did have a long of 63, and so that means he did have a shank. Uh, if 63 of his 92 were in one punt, and so I'm doing math on the fly, what's that, 29 yards? And so he did have a he did have a shank, and I think that's the kick that he was injured on. So I don't know if it was an injury that he'd sort of been nursing and that kick sort of um, – Brought it, uh, brought it to bear or uh, or whatnot. Uh, he did not return the rest of the day. And so Will Reichert assumed duties as punter as well. And what a phenomenal day he had. Uh, he had four punts for 165. Uh, he had a 41.3-yard uh, average. Uh, so his average was below what Burnup has been averaging. Uh, but 41.3 is not bad. And uh, he had a long of 45, so he had a tight his, – his punts were in a, a pretty tight grouping. Uh, so it was pretty – he was right at about 40, I guess, for the other three. Kendrick Law is credited with 80 yards on kickoff returns. Uh, those are empty calories. Uh, those are eating Twinkies. Kool-Aid McKinstry was one for negative one on his punt returns. I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, Chris Braswell blocked a field goal and returned it for a touchdown except for – Dallas Turner, don't put hands on a man that doesn't need his hands put on him. Uh, 15 yards behind the play, Dallas Turner blocked. Uh, they're saying a blindside block. Now, I don't think it was worth the penalty because he did look like he he, he, he reached in front of the guy, but it doesn't matter. Uh, that could be Usain Bolt. He's so far behind the play, he's not going to make the play. And so don't put your hands on him. Just let him be. Don't put the officials in a position to have to make a judgment call. Just don't touch them. And uh, and then there's a 70-yard 70 uh, 70-yard touchdown, and the game's over before it's over because now Alabama, at that case, at that point, Alabama would have gone up two scores, 14 points, as opposed to eight or as opposed to nine, two scores. Alabama would have been up by uh, 14 points. It's a little bit soul-crushing, and uh, certainly the momentum uh, would have been on Alabama's side earlier in the contest. Uh, we kept them around, kept them around, kept them around, kept giving them an inkling that they could potentially uh, have uh, a last uh, a last play. And uh, so again, Dallas Turner, don't put hands on a man that doesn't need hands put on him. And um, <clears throat> man, I'm gonna call out a player. And as soon as I got off the recording last um, last week, I said oh, I forgot a guy. And so I want to get my guy in this time, uh, Quandarius Robertson. Rob Robertson. This is two weeks in a row where he has had a touchdown saving tackle on special teams. And so Quandarius Robinson, and I want to talk about Quandarius just a little bit. Quandarius Robinson is the guy that Saban almost went nuclear on the sideline of the Tennessee game last year when Quandarius touched a punt that didn't need to be touched, and that allowed Tennessee to uh, retain possession of the ball. That was a big play in a game that Alabama lost, and we wish it wouldn't have happened. And Quandarius, I thought he might be thrown through uh, the transfer portal at some point during that game last season. Well, Quandarius has hung around, uh, speaks to his mental 
reserve and, and tenacity and, and his grit uh, and the underlying relationship that Saban has with his players because there's moments of passion and there's ongoing relationships. And uh, Quandarius has come back. He is in the rabbit rush package. Uh, if Alabama puts three outside linebackers on in a rabbit rush uh, blitz situation, Quandarius Robinson is the first one uh, in. He is that guy. And uh, he plays uh, a lot of special teams. And uh, two weeks in a row on coverage teams, he has made uh, tackles that would have prevented or that did prevent uh, touchdowns by the opponent. So good on uh, Q Rob in that regard. All right. Next up for Alabama is homecoming. And uh, after some brutal, uh, I'll say brutal, Mississippi State's a tough place to play with those clanging cowbells. And uh, A&M with the 12th man and 106,000. And, you know, they do yell training and and uh, and such. That can be a, a loud environment as well. So getting Alabama back uh, at home, literally for homecoming, but back at home uh, is certainly nice. Arkansas coming to town is a really good matchup, I think, for Alabama. I like K.J. Jefferson, probably one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I like Rocket Sanders at the running back position. Uh, I think they're a, a tough physical team. Uh, their game, they fight, but I think they're, I think that fight's fading a little bit. And we have an interview. This week we do have an interview lined up with uh, Arkansas. And uh, we'll, kind of, we'll kind of poke at that a little bit. We'll talk about where sort of the headset uh, headspace is of the Arkansas team coming into this game. I think it's a good matchup for Alabama. It'll be a physical game, uh, but I think it's also a little bit of a get-right game. Uh, for Alabama. Uh, no disrespect to Arkansas. I think we have teams trending in different directions. I'll say that. I think this is a 42-14 to 14 style game, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, truly how that plays out. I do think there's an opportunity for some of the younger running backs to get into the game, and I'm not rooting. Uh, I'm going to say this, and I want to be careful this season as opposed to other seasons. I do think there's an opportunity for Ty Simpson to come into the game. That's not to overthrow Milrow, but that's just because may, maybe the score has gotten to a comfortable place that we can rotate in some more depth, quarterback being one of those positions, potentially some of the linemen, certainly some of the running backs, and uh, some of the receivers as well. So that is the type of mindset. That's the type of thinking that really – kick Saban uh, over the edge. Uh, but, um, you know, from my vantage point, uh, I think this game is is going to yield some of those uh, opportunities. All right, administratively, in our virtual tailgate on Saturday, uh, we always pick the – we always do a, a prediction for the upcoming game. And uh, the final score of this game was 26-20. Uh, to 20, And uh, we had a couple close to that, but Jordan picked 23-20. to 20, So he was off – uh, by three in that regard. So uh, good on Jordan. Good on Jordan for uh, that pick. So Doug will get your prize out to you and uh, we'll go from there. If you want to be on a virtual tailgate and our next one is Thursday night, uh, we do Thursdays for Alabama home games and we do Saturday mornings for away games. So our next one is Thursday night. If you want those instructions, how to participate uh, what's the link, how to get on the virtual tailgate calls, uh, then reach out to us, uh, alabamafootballpodcast at gmail.com, alabamafootballpodcast.com. Uh, there's uh, links and information there. Uh, but if you'd like that information, reach out, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about how we get that out to you. In the meantime, what do we do? We roll tide.
Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.